The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. If you are dealing with serious addiction to opiates, heroin, or something else, you know what a toll it takes on your life and the lives of those you love and who love you. This is A Man in Recovery Radio, from dope to hope. You'll hear from host Tim Ryan about his long journey from a winning life to losing nearly everything he had, including his 20-year-old son. All from addiction. Now, Tim has a purpose to educate others about the devastating effects of addiction and how if you are one of the millions of people who have lives that have been affected, you can turn things around today. Now, here is Tim Ryan. Good morning, Tim Ryan, uh, Man of Recovery Radio, taking people from dope to hope, helping one addict at a time. I am truly honored today to have a, uh, a really good friend of mine, uh, a friend by the name of Sandy Swenson. Hello, Sandy. How are you today? Hi, Tim. Great. How are you? I am, uh, you know, I'm, I'm over four years sober. I'm living the dream, and I'm looking out my office window at all the snow on the ground. What are you looking at outside? Flowers? <laughs> yeah, flowers and rain, but yeah. And no that's snow. okay. <laughs> that's okay. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. So, Sandy has, is probably one of the neatest people I've run across in my journey in the past three years of running Manor Recovery Foundation and, and working for Banyan Treatment Center, and you meet all these advocates and all these people, and I probably stumbled across you over two years ago, and we did, did an event down in Streeter, Illinois, a little over a year ago, but t- tell me about the book you wrote, a book by the name of Joey's Song. Um, give us a little insight on what that book is about and, and why you wrote it, Sandy. All right. Well, the Joey song, A Mother's Story of Her Son's Addiction, is really actually a story of my, my journey through my son's addiction. And I ended up writing the book that I had wanted to read when I started down this path with my son, Everything I had read was from, I had read, read great books, but they were usually written from somebody who had a success story to tell. And my son, by after a couple of years, we didn't have a success story to tell yet, and, and I felt like a failure. I felt like a failure as a mother, even though I loved him so much, and I had tried so many things to make him to get better and to fix him, and I felt like I had done everything, and yet okay. I had but a failure, me, so to speak. Wh- why do you say you, you thought you were a failure? That really strikes me, and in the, the hundreds and thousands of, uh, of moms and dads I talk to, I hear that all the time. From your own, why do you feel you're a failure? Because you couldn't cure your son? Well, I don't feel like a failure anymore, because awesome. I figured that out. But at the time, I felt like a failure. I felt like a failure because a mom's job from the moment we would give birth and hold that child in our arms for the very first time, our job is to protect them and 
I couldn't do that for him. And I felt like a failure because all around me, it seemed that people were loving their kids just maybe a little bit more or doing one more extra thing, and somehow their kid got better and mine didn't. So what was I doing wrong? That's why I felt like a failure. And then when I wrote the book, I I really dug deep, and I had kept a journal along the way with Joey, and I was really able to sort through and think things through, and I came to realize that I wasn't a failure, that this is a disease, and that... My love was not a failure. The disease is really, really powerful, and we can do absolutely everything, and we can love them to the moon and back, but we can't do this for them. And I wanted to write that book for people that we can love them, and we can be there, and we can support them, but we can't do it for them, and that it's a disease, so it's nothing to be ashamed of, and we shouldn't be ashamed to talk about it. And that while I can't control his recovery, I can still honor my son, not the addict, by my behaviors and by not making things worse and by keeping the family and myself healthy so that when and if he's ready, he'll come back to something that hasn't been absolutely obliterated. Absolutely, absolutely. So when did you start writing your book? Um... It's a little fuzzy on that because first I was journaling through the whole thing, but I want to say that I actually started writing the book probably in 2008, and then it took me a couple of years to write it and edit it, and maybe I started writing it in 2009, but anyway, then it got published in 2014. Do you know how many people's lives you have helped with writing that book. And I don't know if that was your intention, but I can remember we, we bought a few cases of them and I gave them away at, a, at one of our support groups. And I still have mothers messaging me saying, you know, thank you so much. This book is, has given me the understanding how I can love my child, but I can hate the disease of addiction. And, and they need to be on their journey. And unfortunately, you know, in this journey, sometimes people die. And, and have you accepted, and it's a hard question because I lost my son, Nicholas, August 1st of 2014 to a drug overdose. Have you accepted that you could lose your son? Well, I don't know if accepted is the right word because that, you know, so, but that, yes. it's a, that it's a I possibility. Mean, yes, yes. I mean, I, I absolutely understand that. And I absolutely also understand because I've tried that I can't change that journey. I know that's a real possibility, and yet I know that no matter what I do, whether I bring him in and, and lock him up in a room and shove food under the door to keep him safe from the world, or whether I let him follow his own path, I can't control the outcome of whether he lives or he dies, because even if I were to lock him up here in a room and shove food under his door, he could find a way and and get the drugs that he wants. So I, yeah, I am that, very aware. A, yeah, that that's a tough one too. You know, let me ask you: How do you communicate with your son today? Do you still communicate with your son? Um, the last time. Well, starting in 2008 was the last time he went to um, addiction treatment down in Florida. And so he stayed down in Florida once he left treatment. So 
So since then, I've gone every year in April to go down and see him. It's sort of become a thing. That's my one time a year that I get to go see him, find him, hug him, have a meal with him. Don't talk about addiction. Just just talk about the weather, the the beach, whatever we want to talk about, but not addiction. Have a hug. Enjoy each other. Um, for a brief time and then have that new memory to hang on to because we don't know if there's going to be another memory to hang on to. So I did that every April. We would text sometimes, but he's not a big communicator. Um, this past April, he refused to see me. So I, did, I went down to Florida, but he wouldn't see me. So I haven't seen him since the April before that. And... Um, I, he's, he's stopped taking any commu- any texts or phone calls or anything from me for probably, well, I haven't spoken to him for over a year. Probably since the last time that I was down there, the April before was the last time I spoke to my son. How How is that? I mean, it's, I know it's heart-wrenching, but you've got other kids and, and you need to keep moving forward, don't you? Well, I do. I mean, it, this is what life gave me. It breaks my heart. There's some days I can barely get out of bed. It breaks my heart that my son is not a part of my life. Because before addiction happened, this was not our relationship. We had a very nice relationship. My son is a lovely, funny, wonderful human being. It breaks my heart that he won't even take a phone call from me and that I haven't seen him in this long. And I can't dwell on that, though. I can't dwell on that or I wouldn't be able to function. And I do have... I have a, a, another son, Rick, who he needs a mom who's not absolutely destroyed. And so I try to take that giant hole in my life where Joey should be and fill it with goodness. So that's the only way that I can keep plowing forward. It, you know, and it doesn't just happen with, with kids. You know, it's you got me thinking right now, my older brother, Dan, I can remember... Uh, prior to me catching my case when I overdosed and hit those cars in 2010, he was, you know, trying to help me from a distance. He lives out in Phoenix. And uh, when I went to prison in 2012, he told my mom and dad, I'm not going to talk to Tim until he's out of prison for a year. I never heard from him. And then when my son Nicholas died, Dan flew out. He was there for the service. We went out to dinner like you know, it's the older brother I know, and I have not heard from him since, and that's over two years ago. Um, but I just kind of said, you know, he's on his journey, I'm on mine. Um, unfortunately, uh, probably the next time I, I will see him is when a tragedy happens and, and someone passes away, and it is what it is, but I can't dwell on the fact that, uh, you know, he, he's in his whatever and, and is so mad, whatever it is towards me, and I just got to move on. You know, my, I've got other kids. I've, I've got businesses. I've got a life. And uh, it, it's tough. It's, it's very heart-wrenching as a parent when you can't reach your kid because, you know, when, I, when, when Nick died, you know, I was 21 months sober and he saw everything I was doing. And, and here, you know, I talked to him two days before he died and I offered him Narcan. And he said, Dad, don't worry, I'm not on that anymore. I'm doing all the right things. And, and two days later, he was dead. And his mother, Shannon, 
she really beat herself up because Nick had got out of jail a week prior and she picked him up, uh, took him to lunch and fed him and said, Nick, you know, we're done. You're not coming to my house. You're not coming to dad's because all you do is lie, cheat and steal. And of course, he died a week later. So she's like, well, if I would have brought him home, maybe he'd be here. No, if, if you brought him home, he probably would have died in the house. So, yeah. you know, you, it, it, though, that's a difficult part of this, you know, and uh it's a very, very, very difficult part, and I, I tell people, because they and I don't give advice, because I'm just a mom who's gone through this with one child, so right. I can only say, you know, what I did, but um, I feel like what, what our approach is the right thing for us, but I also feel like this is the most difficult thing to deal with addiction, and maybe, maybe especially when it's a child. And that whatever it is that other people are choosing to do is the right thing for them. And the, the bottom line is we're all trying to do our best with this disease that really not even the professionals have it figured out yet. And we as parents are just trying to struggle along and do the best thing. <laughs> and the, the judgment, I don't like to see the judgment that if, you know, the people who who have told their children they can't come home, they get judged. And the people who bring them home and protect them, they get they judged. Get judged. And we you just know, need to stop it, the judgment and just realize we're all doing the best we can, listening to our hearts and trying to save our children. Yeah, you, you know, Sandy, you bring up a great point. That's why I love talking with you because even in, in what I do, you know, I've sent people to treatment and they've walked out and they've died. Mm-hmm. Um and I get blamed for it. Oh, well, you shouldn't have sent them here. And yeah. I didn't kill them. You know, they chose to go use. It's an unfortunate circumstance. Or the ones that complete treatment and are a year sober and they move on with their life and you find out they're dead. You know, it's like, yeah. what are they What are they missing? And you got the people that want to bash the 12-step programs or this. Yep. Man, do what works for you. You know, if, if Suboxone and Methadone work, do it. Um, I try to get off them. If AA or a 12-step based program works, do that. If it's Christian based, but, you know, oh, well, maybe we should legalize marijuana. I don't know what the answer is, but what I will tell you is I'm sick and tired of burying people. Tomorrow, I will attend my 102nd funeral in a little over two years. 102 funerals. And that's just up here in the Chicago area, people I've been working with. Um, it's, it's absolutely heart wrenching. Uh, a good friend of mine, Jennifer Hodges, um, I don't know she had realtors for rehab out of Atlanta. I don't know if you knew Jennifer. Mm-mm. She had called me a few days ago, five days ago, and was dealing with her niece's boyfriend that just overdosed. They were at the hospital. He died. She came home and her son, Robbie was overdosed in the bathroom. Uh, they just had to take him off life support last night. Um, I, I mean, it's just, it, it's absolutely heart wrenching and that's where God, whatever has used me as a vessel. Cause I can remember the other day, her crying to me on the phone saying, Tim, how do you do this? How do you get through it? Um, and, and unfortunately we'll be able to, my, I'll never be the same. And unfortunately I'm the guy that says, you know, I helped kill my own son. I, I, I didn't start Nick on heroin, but he knew I did it. He followed in my footsteps, and even though he died on my 21-month sobriety date, I will take full ownership that I helped kill my own son, and that's something I will live with for the rest of my life, and that's why I've dedicated my life to 
to trying to help people and bring awareness and drop the stigma. And I just wish more people would come together. I do. But, you know, it's you got 10 people, you're going to have 10 different views and opinions. Well, it's true. And I think we need to respect all those different views and opinions because the reality is that united we win, divided addiction wins. Absolutely. That's the bottom line. And whether, you know, we all have our different opinions and that's great. And eventually some decades down the road, we'll probably have this sorted out on which is the right way. But right now we don't know. And so we just need to accept all these different (coughs) options and respect people's um, you know, choice to, to take that approach and stop the, the negativity, negativity and judgment of one another as we go through this. Because truly, all this battling amongst one another with the right way to do things, my way is better than your way, addiction's winning because we are splintered and yep. we really Damn. need to be united. You, you hit the nail on the head. And, you know, I really look at my job. My job is I'm the guy... Outside all the support groups and every, you know, my speaking engagements, my job is I'm the guy that walks in the house and convinces that person to go to treatment, whatever that looks like, a state-funded place, they have no insurance, they have good insurance, I try to guide and direct them to the best opportunity for the resources they have available and, and that's all I can do. And if they get out and want to get into a sober home, I can guide and direct or go to some recovery meetings. But ultimately, it is up to the addict to either grasp recovery or don't. And, and I'm the guy that for 25 years went in and out of the 12-step rooms. I didn't need a sponsor. I didn't need to work the steps. And I kept mm-hmm. getting more more consequences, driving on revokes, county jails, prison in 08, prison in 2012. And that's where I said, I have had enough. But I try to instill to people they don't have to go to the depths I went to because I'm one of the lucky ones. I'm one of the yeah. fortunate ones, you know. Yep. Um, but we, we got to, you know, just keep doing what we're doing to move forward here. Um, well, I know I've, got- sent, I've called you a couple times from people who have contacted me about uh you know, needing immediate help for their children and you've helped to get them into rehab. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's just, it's just wonderful what you're doing and you're so out there with the community and so brutally honest, which is why I say my book was brutally honest. It's br- full of love, but still brutally honest because that's, Ex- the, that's, the, that's the truth. We need to know the truth and the truth is brutal. It just is brutal because addiction is a brutal disease and you're out there and making it, it real, and you're right that the, I mean, my son went to some of the best rehabs in the country, and he's not better, and I don't fault my son or the rehab, and too many people will say, well, that was a crappy rehab because my child didn't, or my loved one didn't get better. The reality is, I believe, that my son just wasn't ready. He wasn't right. in the place. It wasn't the fault of the, the, the rehab, and it wasn't my son's fault per se, but the oh, addict is still Sandy, in the way. Sandy, hold that thought. We need to take a break. We'll be back in a few minutes. But hold that thought because that's what we're going right into. This is Tim Ryan with the Man in Recovery Radio. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. 
Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. The largest syndicated alternative health talk program has come to the Voice America Network. The Dr. Bob Martin Show is the program that will answer your health questions and help you to heal your own body of many different ailments. Each week, you'll hear the answers that Dr. Bob gives to his callers that help them to be their own doctor most of the time. We'll also discuss developments on the health care front and what you need to do to keep your body in top form. The Dr. Bob Martin Show airs Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to A Man in Recovery Radio, From Dope to Hope, featuring host Tim Ryan. To reach Tim by mail, please use tryan at amirf.org. That's tryan at amirf.org. Now, back to A Man in Recovery Radio. Tim Ryan, Man in Recovery Radio, back at you with my uh, dear friend Sandy Swenson, the author of a book by the name of Joey's Song uh, about her journey through her son's addiction. Um, sorry to cut you off there, Sandy, but you were saying that, you know, your son just wasn't ready. Yeah, to, I mean, uh, I believe he just wasn't ready, and he said that he'll never go back to rehab. Hopefully he will someday. But I think the reality is, you know, as I was saying, that I don't think that it's the, the rehab's fault. Some of they were some of the best rehabs in the country. And I don't believe, I don't fault my son either. What it is, it's the disease. The disease is tough. There is I'm no, yeah. from what I've seen, there is no guarantee. I mean, there's always hope. But this is a tough disease, and it wants to win. And so... That's the thing we all have to remember. The blame game isn't helpful. This is just a really tough disease that has really working hard to to keep its claws into our loved ones. Yeah, you know, and and it is because I go back. I know I probably knew the first or second time at fourteen years old I drank. I I was an alcoholic because I couldn't stop. I like what it did, and in the years of drugs, but I can remember. 20 years ago, sitting in a 12-step meeting, just going, I'm not grasping this, and, and I'm drinking as soon as I leave here. And I would, and then I'd get in a little trouble, or the wife would get mad, and I'd go back for two or three months, but I, I wasn't ready. I I wasn't ready, and, and when I picked up heroin, I was a year clean and sober. I went to meetings, but I, I thought I was a guy that could get sober through osmosis. If I hang out with a bunch of sober people, we'll all get sober, I didn't understand why I need to work the steps and get rid of resentments and walk through my fears and help other people because the disease of addiction makes you a very, very self-centered person. Everything revolved around me, but I can also remember, you know, as I'm driving to Chicago without a license, going to buy heroin, crying because I knew I should be at home with my wife and four kids, but the pull of that drug was just yeah. too strong. I mean, it's, and I, and I thank Judge Wattis at 26 in California. 
to send me for sending me to prison because for me I needed to go to prison. I needed to absolutely lose everything because I only had upward to go. And in my life today, Sandy is is one of the miracles. But don't don't get me fucked up here. And I can you can swear on this radio show. But uh, I want people to understand. I still go to four meetings a week. I still work with the sponsor. I've went through the steps a few times. I, I help other people, but the day I get complacent and I don't need to be in these meetings and and my job will keep me sober is the day I pick up and use. I mean, it happened to a buddy of mine, Jason, that was coming up on two years sober working for me and him and his wife had a beautiful child and he quit going to meetings and, and, you know, 30 days later had a needle on his arm and by the grace of God, he's okay now and a little over 30 days sober. But yeah, this stuff's cunning, baffling and powerful. It's, uh, and it's different for everyone. So I can tell you all I want, but it's up to the person ultimately to do the right things. There, there are some phenomenal treatment centers. Uh, I could sober someone up with the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous under Lower Wacker Drive if they're willing and, and yeah. ready to go. But, you know, each person's different. I, I totally agree with you. We've got to stop the blame game. But what else have you been working on, Sandy? Um, Well, I just completed a manuscript and sent it off to Hazelden. Uh, They're going to be publishing um, my book. It'll be coming out in next fall. And the working title right now is Where Love and Addiction Meet. And it's part of their meditation series. So it's, it's specifically, it's for parents, but probably most specifically for mothers, because that's where I write from. It's the mother's... uh, Perspective. perspective, yeah. Yeah. So at each page, it starts sort of at the beginning, the struggle, and it works its way through six different themes to working to the end, which is you know healing and and scattering goodness in the world to fill that hole. So sort of all the truths of 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 being the parent of an addict and all the things that we all face as we're struggling through this. So I, I've submitted that to them. And then I'm working on the second part of that, which will be a, an app, which will be um, the same sort of material, but in an app. So that's what I That's awesome. That, you know, it, it, it's just amazing. It, would you have thought 10 years ago this is what you'd be doing with your life? Oh, my goodness, no. Well, for one thing, 10 years ago, I thought we were a happy family. And then we had addiction, and it fell apart, and... And I had never written anything in my life. And if a speaking, public speaking, and never in a million years. I was the one <laughs> in college who went and, you know, waited to take the speech class till the last semester of my senior year, hoping that they would get rid of that requirement before I, <laughs> before I graduated. So, no, I wouldn't have expected any of this. But you know what? We get thrown into our calling sometimes, and I feel compelled to to help other parents in the same way and who are going down the same path and to get the stigma off of this thing. Nobody wants to talk about it, and they still they still read stuff like that as, you know, you shouldn't be talking about this. You know, it's supposed to be kept private. And if some people want to keep it private, that's fine. But I feel like I'm not going to wait till my son is dead and then go talking about it when it's too late because the more I can talk about it and raise awareness and, and ease 
parents who are feeling the same things and then feeling ashamed for feeling those things and thinking those things and sorting it out, if we can talk about that now before my child is dead, they're going to understand addiction and somewhere it's going to float down his way and people are going to treat him differently now when it matters. Absolutely. I mean, you you hit the nail on the head and uh, a lot of people look at me and, and say, oh, well, you got into this because your son died. No, I, I started this before my son died. You know, I, I had my foundation set up and unfortunately Nick's part of my story now, but it really instilled me to push harder, to dig deeper, to help more, to reach the masses. I mean, we were just down in Taylorville, Illinois, uh, with my partner, Brandon Novak, who works with Banyan. But, you know, here's a guy that uh, wrote a book called Dream Seller, a, a New York Times bestselling author. He was in all the jackass movies. Viva La Bam was a professional skateboarder at 14. And for 24 years, his best friend was heroin. And when Novak got sober, he was in his 13th detox. He had a duffel bag, eight scarves, two pairs of pants, three socks, and a stick of deodorant, and that duffel bag doubled as his pillow. But on paper, he's been to 29 countries and all these blockbuster movies, New York Times bestselling author, but his entire life ended up in a cooker. And his, his mother worked at Mercy Hospital for 55 years, left as a nuclear physicist. His brother does pensions and benefits in the White House. So the disease of addiction does not discriminate, but we were able to go down to Taylorville, Illinois, and speak in high schools and meet with law enforcement. And then one of the sheriff took us into the county jail to do a 12-step meeting in our forum at night, more high schools the next day, in the graduating drug court. I, I mean, I am blessed that I get to be able to do these things today. I mean, I never in a million years thought I'd be doing what I'm doing, but this was my calling and this was your calling as well. Yeah, and we have to listen to that calling because, you know, we sometimes we choose our purpose and sometimes our purpose chooses us chooses and we us. have to go with it, you know? I, I like that. I like that. So did you do some speaking events this past year? I did. I did quite a few of them. And if you ask me where they are, I'm going to stumble all over it because there are too many and they all sort of jumble together. <laughs> but yes, well, I've done quite a few. Do you remember what one struck you as the most powerful? Is there one that really sticks out with you that, wow, this was just unbelievable? Or it's kind of cool just to do different ones at different places and have those people coming up to you afterwards and saying, thank you. Now I understand. Thank you. You know what I mean? That's... Well, it's it is, me. and, and for me, it's, it's it's always, they're all amazing. I'm always struck by, there's so many people there, so many people hungry to hear the words. There's so many, and I know that that room is, or that, that park, or wherever we happen to be, is just a tiny drop in the bucket, and yet there's mobs of people every time who are just so hungry for understanding this and lost because of their child. They're losing their child. And I'm just struck by all of us together trying to figure this out and get stronger together. And But that's, that's all of them. I'm just always struck by the so many faces, so many people going through this. And it's still too... Um, got too much stigma attached to it and and I want that to end. 
You know, it, it has way too much stigma. I mean, I look at my hometown. I, I'm in here in Naperville, Illinois. One of the, We got four or five high schools here. They have never brought me into the high school to speak. Not once. I do it all over the place, but they bring in, I, they, we did a big event at City Hall, our Cop Kid and the Convict program, and the same night they brought in Chris Heron at the other high school. Chris Heron's a great speaker. The guy's been here five times in two years, tells a good story, but he leaves. We offer solutions. We got our foundation. It, it, it just blows my doors off. We're doing an event this Thursday in Oswego, Illinois, where I live with Shannon and, and Nick Mac Tanner, Max and Abby for, you know, 10 years. And, and they won't bring us in. Oh, well, you're the drug addict that used to live here and did drugs with your son. So we rented out the VFW hall and we're putting on our own event because I'm sick and tired of burying people. But the stigma, oh, well, you're that guy. I'm the guy that's four years sober now that's making a difference. And But that stigma is still there. But you know what? That's their journey. It's not mine. And the thing with me is I don't, I don't give a shit what people think of me. I don't care. I'm here to help. And, and that's what I do. And if you don't like hearing the truth, well, that's on you. Um, and, you know, all I can do is... Try to treat them with love and grace and hope for the best, but uh, expect the worst. And unfortunately, in my line of work, I get phone calls every day on, hey, did you hear so-and-so relapsed and died? Or, well, it's heart-wrenching. I don't, sometimes I don't know, sometimes I don't know how I, how I get through it, but God gives me the strength to, to push forward each and every day, you know, that's uh, what we got to do. Hey, your book, Joey's Song, where can people find that? Um, it's available in bookstores, libraries, Amazon. So, uh, you know, it could be available anywhere. That's not to say that every bookstore will carry it, but if you ask them to get it in, most likely they will. Same with libraries. That's awesome. That's awesome. So how long did it take you to write your second manuscript here? Um, I worked really hard and furious on it. I probably did nothing else but write for three months. <laughs> wow. Seriously. I woke up. That's just sort of the way I roll. When I get into something, I, I'm, I just work on it hard and wanting, you know, but I can't focus on anything else. I just have to get that done. So honestly, I think it took me three months to write the second one because I would write 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And then, so that was that. <laughs> a little bit of an addictive personality there, huh? Uh, possibly. possibly. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. See, my... I've got a book probably coming out in the next six, seven weeks here. But the way we did this, I actually hooked up with a friend of mine, Scott Carbonara. And, and we met, unfortunately, through his daughter Alana's passing. And Scott and his wife, Jocelyn, Scott's a motivational speaker. He does it for a career, not in the addiction space. But he's put out 15 books. So him and his wife came and uh, sat down with me for three days and just braided me with questions and this and, and ta taped everything and put the whole thing together. And I'm telling you, it's when I read the manuscript, I'm like, God, I, I, I was not a good person. I was the most self-centered. It, it, it's heart-wrenching because I'm so brutal and honest. I don't hide anything. I don't candy coat anything because... I need to speak the truth. And I was a guy that, that could make lots of money, but I constantly imploded. I had a fear of success. And every time I made money, I'd go right back to destroying my life. And I, I was really good at destroying my life and, and destroying other people's. But, you know, on the flip side, uh, Friday night was my son Nicholas's 
would have been Nick's 23rd birthday. So, you know, I was able to go out to dinner with Shannon and, and Max, Tanner, and Abby and have an enjoyable evening. And, and I'm just blessed that they're in my life today. Um, but, well, I'll tell you, tell you, Tim, is that, I mean, we need to hear your brutal truth. We as yeah. parents need to hear this brutal truth. We need to see and hear your deepest, darkest stories and hear that you went through these terrible rock bottoms, but yet didn't realize they were your rock bottoms. And yet you, and then you, and you, but you did, you came through this thing and you, you, you are validating to me because you did this no matter, you had all sorts of people trying to get you to help, but you had to do this yourself and you you tell us that, that you had to do this. Nothing that we could have done could have changed your path. And we need to hear this from somebody who has gone through to the absolute bottom and back up again. And we need to hear this. And we don't need the sugar coating. And some no, people aren't ready yeah. to hear it yet. But, but those of us who are ready to hear it, you know, and hopefully everybody will be someday because the picture that people have of addiction is not the truth. The yours is the truth. Yours is the yeah. real picture of addiction. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't, like you say, it doesn't discriminate. It takes anybody. And I say that when, when you see a parent who either neglects or abuses or, or whatever abandons their children, that speaks to the power of addiction, that a parent can go against every parental um, right. Yes. Instinct. Emotion, feeling. I mean, you gave yes. birth to a child and, and in your plan, you should do everything to save and rescue and nurture and help that child. But it, the disease doesn't dismantle just the addict. It dismantles yes. the entire family. It dismantles the entire family and it dismantles the parental instincts. And wow, if that doesn't speak to... People just think, oh, he's just being a creep. He, he, you know, he abandoned his kid to go get drugs or whatever. Um, but that's not the story. The story is that that drug is so powerful that it has dismantled the parental instincts. Absolutely. And yet you have managed, and I'm not saying that you, I was just saying him as an example. Right, no, that's okay. But, but, but you... With all the things that you went through with your addiction and, that, and, and using that example of how strong addiction is, and yet, eventually, you did find your way out of that, of, of your own conviction. Well, that and yeah. the, and the, and the a- prison. <laughs> absolutely. But, well, you know, for me, I mean, prison was, uh, I, I can remember being two weeks in and, and sitting in group and saying, I have nothing to, you know, because we did three hours a day, five days a week at small group and all gang members. And I decided to shift my thinking and start plugging in. And what mm-hmm. I found out was, you know, most of these people were really good people. They just came from different circumstances. And I used every minute, 18 hours a day in that cell to read books, to better myself, to study I didn't ever want to live that way. And, and Shannon bringing two of our kids to visit me every two weeks. And even after divorcing me, telling me on Father's Day that she sent me a package and she sent me divorce papers. And she still came that day and kept coming. I mean, those are things I'll never forget. But yeah. we will get back into this real quick. We're going to take another quick break. This is Tim Ryan with my guest, Sandy Swenson, the author of a 
Uh, very difficult book, but a book that needs to be out there by the name of Joey's Song. Um, and it's about Sandy's journey through her son's addiction as a parent. We'll be right back. This is Tim Ryan on Amanda Recovery Radio with my guest, Sandy Swenson. As we age, our health can decline. For some, it's a slow, even process, while for others, it can happen at a much faster rate. The health decline can start in people as young as their 30s. Did you know a lot of age-related diseases can be prevented, reversed, or eliminated? It's true. You'll find out more every week on Healthy Aging with Dr. Denise Bogard. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. It's your life. Keep it going well. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. You are listening to A Man in Recovery Radio, from dope to hope, featuring host Tim Ryan. To reach Tim by mail, please use tryan at amirf.org. That's tryan at amirf.org. Now, back to A Man in Recovery Radio. Welcome back, Tim Ryan, Man in Recovery Radio, with my dear friend Sandy Swenson, the author of Joey's Song, um, as our guest, and Sandy, we were just talking on break. You had a, a question you were asking me. What was that question? Yes, so my question was, so you have for decades were using drugs and drinking, and so you had all the consequences along the way of overdoses and arrests and near death and jail, and yet this time when you were in prison something was different. You could have gone and done the same as everything else, you know, all the other times and maybe just dipped a toe and then and went back to using, but you didn't. What made this time different? That, well, I, you, you, I literally have goosebumps as you ask me that right now. You know, I had finally had enough pain. I can remember when I walked in, I, I can remember Shannon and Abby drove me to the train, and I had been fighting my case for 21 months, and I told Shannon, I said, I don't think I'm going to be home tonight. They're going to take me, and she's like, yeah, you will, and you know, we'll order a pizza, and I said, if you don't hear from me by 10 o'clock, they took me, um, and then getting, spending three, four days in Cook County Jail, getting transferred to Stateville, and, and being in that cell that you're locked down 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You never leave this cell until they figure out what prison you're in. And and I was, I, Sandy, I weighed 158 pounds. You've been to my house. Mm. We've, we, we've been together. Right now I'm about 208. I'm six yeah. foot one. I was skin and bones. I was walking death. I was profusely dope sick. Um, I defecated and vomited myself for two weeks straight. And that's where I finally looked up and I said, God, higher power, whatever's up there, please take away this obsession and compulsion to use. And I swear I'll turn my will and life over to you. 
and let me get into Sheridan Correctional Center. And damn it, the next day there was a brown bag with, I forgot what the number was, but it meant I was going to Sheridan. And when I walked into that prison, God threw so many things at me. I'm I got this crazy guy, Quelo, um, and we're getting transferred on the bus, and he's just this loudmouth gangbanger on my mama, keep a 100. I'm like, God, don't put me in a cell with him, and sure enough, I get stuck with Quelo. Turns out to be one of the nicest people I'd ever met. He's got bullet holes in him, um, but that experience. And then when we were, you're in a seg building for about a month. I saw a guy, we got three hours a night and day room, and otherwise you're in the cell the whole time. And I, I saw this guy, Sandy, and I, a Puerto Rican gentleman, and I went up to him. I said, I know you. He said, white boy, you don't know me. I've been locked up for the past 10 years. And I said, what? I, and I went back and I said, yeah, I do. I said, Cook County Jail, 2002. I said, you ran the deck. You're the guy that brought the drugs in. He said, me and you did ecstasy, didn't we? He said, you borrowed my bottle of cream. I said, I did. This man had been locked up on an attempted murder charge for 10 years of my getting incarcerated in and out of jails, and, and he had two more years left. And then I got transferred to another building, and I, I got my final cellmate, Big Perk, who had been a gang chief for 25 years, prison 10 times, and his son had just been killed on the west side of Chicago, and we grieved through that, and we'd write he'd write letters to Nicholas, and the, the time I spent with him and then my counselor, Miss Alyssa, it turns out she got sober at the same Allen Club I went to for 20 years. So she knew a bunch of the people I knew. God put all these things in my life, and I just didn't ever want to live that way. And I think the hardest thing, uh, of course, I, I remember the first day Shannon brought two of the kids to visit me, and uh, it was right before Christmas. They came to see me. We did our two-hour visit. I got taken back to my building right away, and I was looking out the window, and I saw Shannon and the two kids driving away. And I will never forget that pain of what I did to them having to come to see me in prison. It was a six- to eight-hour ordeal every two weeks, and Shannon brought two of those kids every two weeks. And, and one day, Abby came in at 12 years old in her cheerleading outfit. She had come from cheer to see dad in prison, and I remember all the inmates gawking at her because she had boobs and she, she looked 16, and I'm like, I will never, ever put my family through this again, and and it just, you know, it worked out, but, man, I plugged into recovery. I didn't waste, in the day room at night, me and Big Perk would sit on a bench with a, a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and have a 12-step meeting. I mean, I was constantly live in recovery. A gentleman, Mr. Norris, who had been there a year and a half prior, we had walked the yard and talked recovery. Mr. Norris works for me today at Banyan Treatment Center in, in our housing. And God has opened so many doors and I, I don't tempt fate anymore. God and I have got a good deal worked out. Um, if I don't do drugs or drink, the doors open and I shouldn't be here. You know, I've overdosed eight times. I've been dead three. I've had two minor heart attacks. I shouldn't be talking to you. Um, but, but I've had more pain that I don't ever want to experience again. And then God put Kirsten in my life and that beautiful daughter Mackenzie I have, who's mm -hmm. 15 months old and a, a child that's, you know, uh, she's up at four in the morning and wants to play rock and roll. We're playing. Those were things <laughs> I, I never did. You know, yeah, it's, uh, 
you know, yesterday I spent the entire day just with Kirsten and McKenzie and, and kind of shut the phone off. Well, I didn't shut the phone off, but I diverted calls. And, you know, it's, uh, I don't know what the exact, but pain. I had had enough pain. And people's pain thresholds are different. It could be getting a DUI. All right, I'm done. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just didn't want to, I, I saw people dying and losing things and displacing my wife and kids and losing our home. And that was all because of me. I, I made plenty of money. Um, so yet none I, of those were, none of those were enough to, no. you know, so that, so this, you, so yeah, some, something in you, the pain threshold had been met by the time it, you got it, to it, that it it, it had been met tenfold, and it was really, I, I think, that I finally had the clarity, because I needed to go to prison. I needed to be sat down, but I had the clarity to go, my God, I have just been a tornado of destruction, and the people that are suffering the most is my wife and my, my four children, mm-hmm. and, 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 and Nick was out in active addiction, and I think he had been to rehab the fifth time while I was in there and it overdosed once. And I can remember in group one day saying, you know, my worst fear is my son is going to die while I'm in prison. And I actually asked the counselor, if that happens, are they going to let me go to go to his funeral? And I remember the counselor saying, yeah, it costs about $1,000, but they'll shackle you up. You'll be able to walk in and visit him for an hour, and then you leave prior to anyone showing up. And I just prayed that didn't happen, and it, it happened the way it did. But, uh, yeah, those are things until – that's the thing that really gets me is is the people that, you know, want to talk bash the 12-step programs or this or they don't work. Man, you, you got people that haven't ever been in recovery bashing things. And yeah. it's like until you've experienced the pain I have and – People can experience it at a young age, and I, I know a lot of young people sober, but, you know, your mission is to do what you do. My mission is to do what I do, and, and we all try to work together. And I have surrounded myself with people like you, Sandy, and the positive people out there. I, I spin off from these haters, the BS groups, you know, because you got people that will just suck the energy out of you. And I like positive energy. I don't hang around negative people, negative circumstances. It's just not worth it. Right, right. Well, it's, it's, yeah, this, this, this disease is devastating enough without <coughs> adding more destruction to the, the whole situation. So, yes, I, I totally yeah, it, agree with that. I, had, I know somebody who told me that after a couple of rehabs and they said that... Um, they realized that they needed to just do what they were told and not listen to themselves because if they listened to themselves, they were going to, you know, fall back in the deep doom. So well, It's funny you say that. Derek, who I had on the show last week, who's, who's my driver, I still haven't had a driver's license in 15 years, but he had been to treatment 13 times, 16 detoxes, and, and his clinical guy, Tom, sat him down and said, Derek, you need to understand something. You don't know anything. Um, if you think you're going to get high, you need to shut up and start listening and take these suggestions or, you know, just pack up and leave because you're using your insurance card as an American Express. And I'll go here and I'll go get high and I can go here. And he said, mm-hmm. do you want to keep living this way? And, you know, Derek's 10 months sober, and 
seeing the growth in him, except for him being late to pick me up a half hour late this morning. Um, I'll make I'll make him buy me lunch. You know, I, I, I wish to God when I was 21 trying to get sober the first time, I had people like me in their life and giving people opportunities and, 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 and dreams that they never could have fulfilled. I've got Nick, uh, Nick working for me, uh, Larson, who... You know, the guy's been to prison six, seven times and just grateful to be out there helping and got to go to Arizona to see his aunt and uncle over Thanksgiving. He hasn't seen him in 15 years and got to make amends and these things yeah. would never happen. So, you yeah. know, there's so many miracles out there. It's it's just awesome. But uh, for the people listening out there, I'm telling you, pick up this book, Joey's Song. It is absolutely phenomenal. And you can follow Sandy on Facebook. Do you have a Twitter? I do. I have a Twitter, but I can't tell you. It's got my name in there. <laughs> hey, got it. You're you're like me. I got Instagram. I got Twitter. I got Man of Recovery. This. I, you know, if you need help and you you want a good treatment center, you can call Banyan. B A N Y A N Treatment Center. You don't have insurance. You're indigent. You know, you can reach us a, a Man of Recovery Foundation. www.amirf.org and and we'll help. And you know, it's interesting, Sandy, because all these speaking events I do, you know, I get paid for them. But mm-hmm. what I do is I take all the money and I put it in our foundation. I give every dollar away. Wonderful. I, well, I know I that you are just doing wonderful work. I so admire what you're doing and you're a really strong voice out there for this. And, you know, sometimes people will tell me that I'm brave for speaking out. And I said, well, I'm not brave. Brave would mean, brave would mean that I'm, I'm doing something, you know, that, that takes extra courage. And I don't feel like addiction is a disgrace. I feel like it's a disease. So there's nothing brave whatsoever about talking about it. Um, and so, obviously, you are out there spreading that word to everybody and helping all of us in this same journey, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that. Well, I, I'm eternally grateful that God put you into my life, and, you know, it, it's so cool. The, the relationships I have, I've got true friends in my corner. I mean, I could call you and say, hey, I need to talk to you about this or that, and you'd listen to me and, and take addiction and recovery out of the window, you'd be there. I never had mm-hmm. people in my corner. I never had people that I could truly call a friend because I was always wearing the mask and, oh, yeah, this, and I could put on the suit and go close a business deal, but I could walk and hang with the, the Maniac Latin Disciples on, on the west side of Chicago and shoot dope and watch people get shot. I mean, it's I was the ultimate chameleon, and I, I don't like wearing the mask anymore, and I don't want to see people struggling, and I want to see people get better, but... You know, there's a lot of people out there, too, that get into this for the wrong reasons, that, that truly aren't living recovery. And, you know, they'll, they'll fade away in time. But uh, I don't do this for, for fame, glory, because I wouldn't wish my job on anyone. But we got some neat things. You know, uh, hopefully my reality-based show on a major cable network will be coming out. I'm really excited about the book. My TEDx talk on YouTube should be loaded up today or tomorrow. I just want to give hope, taking people from dope to hope, helping one addict at a time. And then there's you out there that is just carrying the message through your journey. And talk about a strong person. To be able to write that down and pen what you did, it's unbelievable. I do want to let people know that our guest next week, 
uh, will be another friend of ours, Sandy. Remember Matt Gannum, the poet? Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. next week we're going to have Matt Gannum on, who actually is the one that convinced, when I first got out of prison and started this stuff, I had found Matt on Facebook, and I messaged him, and we he called me, and we talked for an hour and a half, two hours. I exaggerated to five hours, but uh, Matt was instrumental in what I do. He kind of got me into the business, and now he runs uh, Banyan Treatment Center out in Boston and, and is killing it, but uh, we're getting ready to come to a close here, so if you need help, please reach out. You can check out BanyanTreatmentCenter.com on the internet or AMIRF.org. I would like to thank our guest, Sandy Swenson, the author of Joey's Song. Thank you so much for coming on, Sandy. Well, thank you for having me. I'm honored. Thank you no, very much. I am absolutely honored, and if you are listening, get on Amazon, Google Sandy Swenson, Joey's song, follow this lady. I can't tell you the thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives that this wonderful lady has touched. Um, It's truly an honor to have you. I miss you. Next time I'm in Austin, we're hooking up, or when you're here, and I look forward to seeing you soon. This is Tim Ryan with the Man in Recovery Radio, taking people from dope to hope. I want to thank Sandy Swenson. We'll talk to you next week. Sandy, have a blessed day. I love you. Thank you. Same to you, Tim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. This has been a Man in Recovery Radio from dope to hope. Please join Tim Ryan again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for another edition of our program. And remember, there is always a future, always hope. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.